Welcome to the Parenting in the Digital Age podcast. Many parents are concerned that their child might be falling behind. Others are just looking for ways to help their children thrive, not just in the classroom, but socially and well into their future careers. Each episode, we explore the challenges facing parents in the modern world, from behavior, education, and nutrition, to device and gaming addiction. We interview a range of leaders in the area of childhood development to help you successfully navigate parenting in the digital age. Here is your host, Jamie Buttigieg. Hello, parents, and welcome to another episode of the Parenting in the Digital Age podcast. Because there's no instruction manual for being a great parent, we find experts from right around the world to help us navigate all things parenting. Our guest today is Chris Lake, who is a native New Yorker who works with toddlers with delays to help them meet their milestones. He also trains staff and parents to do the same. Chris earned his master's in both general and special education, and in 2014, Chris started a non-profit community for a cause, and has successfully worked to aid New Yorkers as well as now people abroad. Chris is also a best-selling author. His book, How to Help Your Toddler Meet Their Milestones, 101 Developmental Behaviour Hacks. Now, when I was uh, reading through that, I was like, where was this book when I was parenting? Uh, this is uh, indispensable. Uh, his goal is to give families and childcare providers a time-tested blueprint of how to develop children using evidence-based practice. Now, before we get into a fascinating discussion on toddlers, welcome, Chris. Thank you for joining us. Please share with our listeners who you are and what you are passionate about. Jamie, thank you so much for that glowing introduction. I am so happy to be here joining you from across the world. Um, I am passionate about people. I'm passionate about progress. I'm passionate about children reaching their potential, not being overlooked. I'm passionate about helping parents so that they have the, the bandwidth to do their job best. Because we all know as parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and children that parents have their hands full and there's there's not a lot that makes the job easier. So, you know, in my, my field and what I've done, I've found ways to summarize what can be done. And I, I'm here to help share that. Yeah, wonderful. Now, we are um, going to dive into some of these developmental behavior hacks that parents can use. And there's going to be, I know there's going to be some real uh, wonderful pieces of information that parents can go away with and use and implement to, to help really add value to their family and help their child succeed and thrive. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about Community for a Cause. You know, what, what, what made you start that? What impact do you guys have? Uh, just give us some background. Absolutely. So it's funny that because of the work I do in my day job, which is a behavior therapist, essentially, I'm a special education teacher slash behavior therapist working with kids with autism. And when I first got my master's and I had my first job as a head teacher, first class on my own, super proud, proud Papa Bear. I had a class of eight kids and one of the children there had lead poisoning. Mind you, every single classroom I've worked in across my 15 years has had kids with lead poisoning and lead exposure. Every single classroom, without exception. And I didn't start to notice um, how bad this was until just a year before Flint, Michigan hit the national and then international uh, awareness. And so the year before Flint, Michigan was on anyone's mind, my student had a very high level. And it was alarming because in comparison to the kids with autism, I noticed he had much greater challenges, much greater difficulties, and it kind of broke my heart. Come graduation, which they really worked super hard for, practicing the gestures for wheels on the bus, and I actually literally made a, a wooden construct bus for him to sit in. Um, he was the only one who didn't show up. And we never got a call. I never saw the child again. But in my head, I assumed that he probably had a tantrum or a meltdown to end all meltdowns. And the family simply said, you know what? Forget it. And that happens every day. That happens every day to so many different families. It's an untold story. It's not... It's not sexy or, or dramatic. It's not going to make the movies. It's not going to be in a news. It's just, it's life. It's just the sad aspects of everyday life. And so that was the graduation. I had the summer off, and I'm sitting around asking myself with this unsatisfied feeling, what do I do with this feeling? How can I make a difference? So you fast forward a little bit, and I watched a food documentary. I'm very big on plant-based diets and, and seeing food as medicine. And... I watched this food documentary called Hungry for Change. If anyone's seen it, you know you know what it's about. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. 
And it was the first food documentary I watched. It wasn't just slaughterhouses and trying to convince you not to eat meat. It was more talking about sugar and being attentive towards how valuable plants are. And in the documentary, Dr. Mike Adams very casually at one point says, when you eat cilantro, it goes into your body and it removes heavy toxic metals. And I paused and I said, wait, 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 what did you just say? Are you telling me there's something you can simply eat that could help my student? And that sent me down this rabbit hole of research. I ended up going to a bar, met someone else who worked with kids, and I was just nonstop obsessed, hyper fixated on this, so talking to her about it. And we decided, let's, let's do something. Let's throw a fashion fundraiser to raise awareness. And out of that, we decided, let's make a 501c3 out of it. And out of that, became Community for a Cause. And, you know, it was originally created for children with lead poisoning, which is why my book proceeds, a portion of them goes towards lead poisoning. And then from there, I developed other chapters as well, because there's just things in general I see in, in New York and my world around me that I say, I don't like that, but I have a nonprofit. What can I do to change that? I create a branch for homeless relief. I create a branch for storm relief. I create a branch for sexual violence prevention, a branch for environmental protection. And, you know, the goal is down the road to have as many branches so that communities can gather and collaborate, grassroots lobby if need be, and, and make changes for whatever cause they care about. And, and that's the long and short of it. And that is uh, quite an impact. Thank you for your impact because that is uh, uh, impressive. When somebody gets the fire in them and finds some passion, it is incredible what they can do. Now, Chris, I recently read an article about uh, babies being born just prior to and during the pandemic. Uh, it talks about the impact of isolation on brain, uh, on brain development, mm -hmm. the impact of isolation on brain development, uh, and the impact on behavior. Mm -hmm. So, Chris, what, what can parents do to help their child properly socialize following the you know COVID lockdowns? Yeah, absolutely, great question. And I would say first and foremost, what all parents can do is be aware, right? You don't need to have all the answers, but it's important to be aware of your instincts. If you have a gut feeling like, ooh, is that, is that normal? Should my kid be doing that? Is that something my kid should not be doing? Pursue that line of questioning, you know? Don't, don't simply let it start and end with between your ears, right? Don't believe everything you think. This is something that I'm known for saying. Um, do your research. Go into like, okay, what's normal for my 20-month-old? What's normal for my 22-month-old? What's normal for my... Listen, you can break it down by week at a certain point when the kids are younger, and you will find answers for what the standard is. Now, does your kid need to be perfect? No. But your child should be displaying some initial aspects of what is to be expected at certain ages. And it's not for you to beat yourself up if your child isn't displaying certain things. But it is for you to be aware. Okay, my kid is three years old and still refuses to ever share their toys. That is not ideal, right? And you don't want to simply say, oh, they'll grow out of it. This is a very big takeaway for all parents. I invite all parents to throw out this phrase, they'll grow out of it. That is a myth. That is magical thinking. No one anywhere ever simply grew out of stuff. What really happened? is one of two things. We're punished out of stuff, or our peer group shames us out of stuff. And that's how we grow, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, the only other alternative is if a child is perspicacious enough, they'll realize this doesn't work. And, and they'll come to a point in their own understanding that this kind of thinking and this kind of acting really doesn't work for me, but that requires a high level of maturity. But typically, we're punished out of behavior or we're shamed out of it. So if you see your child not doing something, you say, well, I want them to do more of this. I want them to share more. Find ways to incentivize them. Find ways to catch them being good. So if you do see them trying, give them credit for trying. Um, if you see an opportunity where there's a toy and a kid stand next to them, you can physically guide them. This is what I talk about a lot in my book. You're allowed to put your hands gently on your child and guide them to do certain things that they have not yet figured out how to do. Because they have not yet figured out how to do it, and because they aren't just going to figure it out, it's good for you to guide them, physically guide them. And then as you do say, this is sharing. Oh, I'm so proud of you, Jimmy. I'm so proud of you, Susie. Thank you for sharing your toys. Give mommy a hug. I love when you do big boy, big girl things like sharing. Those phrases, mind you, big boy and big girl, they go a long way with toddlers. Kids want to be associated with being older. All kids, right? Um, there's this status that we aspire for in, ch in childhood, and that status is older, bigger, stronger, faster, typically. And for some kids, smarter, but 
let's be honest, uh, <laughs> that's not the biggest priority. <laughs> so the more you can identify a trait, a characteristic, a virtue as being big boy and big girl and encouraging it, physically guiding it when you can, and praising it specifically, they're going to want to do more of that. They're going to want to do more of that. Um, and the alternative is, if you see them doing something that's not good, like they take a toy from a kid, or, or they push a kid in some way aggressive, or they just shut down, you don't want to get loud and excessively energetic about these things, because unfortunately what happens for a child's developing brain is they don't process it quite the way that you might hope they do. I, I tell my staff, I tell my teachers all the time, every single kid across the globe has the same exact favorite word. You want to know what that is, Jamie? Tell me. Their name. It doesn't matter why they're hearing their name. They love hearing it. And they especially love hearing it when you say it loud. Issue is, we're only saying it loud when they're doing something wrong, right? That's how we were trained. That's how we were raised. It's kind of natural. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it, is, it's, it is what it is. But, but once you're aware of this, you can switch the gears. You can say, okay, let me not get too loud when I see them doing this. Instead, let me, like, bring the level down. And kind of say, hey, hey, Jamie, let's not do that. That's not a good choice. Let's make a big girl choice, big boy choice. And then when they do something that you want to be like, wow, Jamie, that was great. I'm so proud. And it's fake, right? You're, you're going to know you're putting it on. And you're going to feel a little ridiculous. But A, it's not forever. And B, it makes a difference. I promise you. What I'm recommending isn't based on, well, I'm a dad and I did this. No, it's based on 16 years of evidence-based scientific research from applied behavior analysis. I've gone to conferences for this. You know, I've got, I've got my master's from this. But this is, this is something that we have to do data analysis, graphing on, and, and update every single day to make sure we can prove to parents that the behavior we're doing for the kids with autism works. What works for kids with autism works for everyone else, too. Works for everyone else. Yeah. That, that is outstanding advice. Uh, there, uh, like I, can, I can see parents now just writing this stuff down. Uh, here's, here's another thing, Chris, that parents struggle with, right? And, and I know as a parent of four, uh, picky eating. Picky eating. Now, I'm not going to say, I'm not even going to ask you, will kids go out of this because uh, I can feel a slap on the wrist. Uh, what, what can parents do to perhaps decrease uh, you know, picky eating and make sure their kids are eating a more balanced diet? Right. Couple couple things they can do. One, um, take a deep breath and recognize you're not alone. You're not alone. Um, research shows that between 19 to 50 percent of toddlers are picky eaters. So almost half are picky eaters. It's not anything that you're doing wrong necessarily. It's just that there's a lot that kids are dealing with at mealtime. Um, and one thing that you can do off the bat, if you want, offer offer a balanced diet. Right, that's one thing. You know, if your kid just wants crackers and chicken nuggets and fries, um, and, and that's what you're offering on Monday through Friday, it's going to be really hard to offer broccoli come Saturday. So the more you're offering a healthy diet, even if they're not eating it, the more normal it becomes in your household. You want to make a healthy, balanced meal a normal sight, a normal vision, at least. I once heard a story about a mom who offered her kid veggies every single day for a full year. He never ate it, and one day she gave up, and she just stopped putting veggies on a plate, and that day... Her son said, Mom, where are the veggies? Even though he never ate it, it was no, he needed the visual. He knew that's supposed to be there. So what, what research has shown is that the key is understanding that typically for, for picky eaters, not just toddlers, for specifically for picky eating toddlers, it usually takes 8 to 15 exposures before they'll try the food. This is really important to remember because the average person doesn't have the bandwidth to try offering and being rejected a certain food you're cooking, spending money on and throwing away 8 to 15 times. So try it once, you're going to try it twice, you might not try it 3, 4 times. Definitely not 5. So what I recommend for people to do is make it a Thursday night try. So you say for 2 months, every Thursday night, I'm going to put spinach on the plate. And make it a no-pressure scenario. You know, a lot of times we want kids to eat. Both parents are sitting at the child, staring at them, just looking at them, waiting for them to eat the entire plate. You know how awkward that would be if that was you on a dinner date with anyone else in the world? They're like begging. Like half of these parents are begging, They're like, begging. please eat this, please. or, you know, negotiating. Right. You know, like, is negotiating right? Like, like, should parents negotiate, hey, eat this, and then you can eat you can. this? Is that a thing? Listen, you can. And I've done that with my daughter myself. You have to be very strategic about it, very strategic about it, so that because kids will counter negotiate. And you have to be aware. 
They're smart. <laughs> you can't get caught in that quagmire. But, um, you know, what I would do with my daughter at some point, because she went through a phase where she was picky, and I said, okay, here's the deal, sweetheart. If you eat everything on your plate, then I'll give you some chocolate. And the amount of chocolate I gave was about half the size of a pinky nail, and what was on her plate was a full plate. And she's like, I see her shoveling. I'm like, okay, cool. You earned it. And I use that word intensity. You can earn this if you do this. Um, and we're going to dive into rules in a bit, I'm sure. But if-then statements are formulas that toddlers really digest well, it helps them uh, see the buy-in and what's coming next. A lot of times you don't tell toddlers what's coming next, so they're not about it. But if you give them if-then statements, they're more willing to, to pick up what you're putting down. Um, if a child's super picky, you can say, okay, take a bite of this, and then I'll give you a little bit of this. Take a bite of this, and I'll give you a little bit of this. Um, but you do have to be careful because if they're going to counter negotiate, you have to stick to your guns, and that's the key. You need to stick to your guns. You can't say, oh, fine, whatever, because kids only learn from what happens next, whether you like it or not. It's not really their fault to have a program. If they learn that if I'm fussy and you're going to give up, cool. I didn't want to eat that anyway, so I'm going to be fussy so that way you give up. Um, an important aspect, too, if your kid happens to see the food on a plate and they say, nah, I don't want to do it, and take them, pick it up and throw it, you need to set that rule as a parent that that food stays on your plate. You don't have to eat it, but it stays on your plate. This is going to increase the normalcy of that visage, that normalcy of that vision that balanced meals are on my plate. And after they see it 8 to 15 times, what will typically happen is a series of 8 steps. And I'll break it down very quickly. Um, but step number one is the child actually touches it. Not touches it, throw it away or throw it on the floor but to actually physically touch it. Now, psychologically, they're breaking the barrier here. They've gone from, ew, yucky, I don't even want to look at it, to, all right, let me see what this, what this is all about. Let me see what this feels like. Step two, they might pick it up. Just pick it up. Again, they're not picking up to throw it on the ground, not picking up to take up, they just pick it up, because again, they're, now they're engaging the food a different way. Three, they'll put it towards their mouth. Not gonna touch their mouth, but they're actually like moving it towards their face. Again, this is a step. When you see, when you know the steps, you can start saying, okay, they're making progress. And it's important as parents to recognize a trend. Not just look for the kid to reach letter Z, but recognizing the kids at D, G, J, moving forward and giving them credit for that. Next step, they're actually going to touch it to the lips. Almost kiss the food. And then they're going to put it back down. You're going to be really super annoyed because you're going to ask yourself, why can't you just eat it? But that's a big step. They're touching it to where they eat food. Then they're actually going to cross the teeth plane. Then they're going to touch your tongue. And this next step, the seventh step, which is the most frustrating for every parent, I understand, is they're actually going to chew it. They're going to put it in their mouth, taste it, chew it, and then spit it out. And you're going to be like, what? That's when you're going to lose it. You're going to have this big, explosive reaction. I'm going to invite you all to press it, to press it, to press it, sit there and recognize. I said this is exactly what's going to happen. And you're going to say this. You're going to say, good job tasting the food. Very good job putting it in your mouth. Give them credit. Make them feel good. Praise them for their behavior. What you praise, you will see more of. Okay? Now, after you do this, the next step is they'll actually put it in their mouth and they'll swallow it. And mind you, when a kid puts food in their mouth and they chew it, they're actually swallowing the juice. It's the texture they're actually getting used to. The palate's still soft. They haven't mastered how to actually chew. It's 32 steps to actually eat food. We take it for granted, right? Because we've been doing it for decades. But there's you know, there's up-down movement, there's rotational movement of the jaw, there's the tongue moving and pushing it down, swallowing it, but all that jazz isn't automatic. The kid has to learn how to process that. So when they do chew something like fruit, for example, and then they spit it out, they didn't spit all of it out. They swallowed the juices, and that's, that's a plus. They're moving in the right direction. So give them credit. So those are the eight steps, which you can find on my website, 101behaviorhacks.com. I have a free, uh, I have free downloadable picky eating guide, an eight-step guide for parents to make things a little easier. It's also in the book. The other thing to realize is try to offer food where you can hide balanced meals. Sauce is a great way to hide. Spinach does not affect flavor in the slightest when you chop it up, chop it up, chop it up, put in some tomato sauce. Chop it up, chop it up, chop it up, put it in a smoothie. You can put spinach in any smoothie and they're not going to taste it. They don't mind banana, honey, almond milk smoothie with some spinach. Your kids are going to love it. They're just tasting the banana and the honey and the you know, the peanut butter, but um, as long as my allergies, obviously. But find ways to hide it. If you like eggs, make omelet. If you like rice, make stir fry. Be creative. Um, and season your food, please. Don't 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 say you have to eat steamed bland broccoli to prove that I'm a 
golden parent. No one likes eating plain steamed broccoli. Don't get fooled, you wouldn't eat. Um, and also, it helps to try to eat with the kids. If you make, if you can make a family meal, a family pot, and so you're eating, mom's eating, the siblings are eating, and the baby's eating, it's more natural and it's more comfortable. That pressure, that pressure cooker situation we give kids, where everyone's staring at them, waiting for them to eat every bite, it's just uncomfortable, and they feel it. You would too. The less pressure you have, the better. My wife and I learned, it took a while for us to figure it out. Once we took our eyes off our daughter and just ate our family meal and just had a conversation about not her, she started picking up her spoon and eating. The pressure was off. So, you know, all these concepts are in my book. Um, and, and you can also email. My email, is, my email is on my site. I invite people to reach out. I want parents to be confident. I want parents to have the proper tools to engage. So reach out, folks. It's fine. We get through this together. <laughs> it's, that's, that's very, that is very generous. Now we, uh, we want to talk a little bit about rule setting. Um, you know, I know again something parents struggle with. But uh, what what is your advice to maybe firstly setting rules within the household and for kids, but more importantly, how do we stick to them? Okay, okay. So setting rules, I want that parents know you can set as early as your child is walking, and it's really never too early to set rules. You obviously don't want to be a dictator about it, but the point of rules is so that kids are safe, typically. Um, otherwise, so they can live a good life. And I, I've learned to use this phrase with my staff and my kids over and over again. We follow rules so we can be safe and live a good life. We follow rules so we can be safe and live a good life. Kids like to know the why behind things. Um, so if you set a rule and it feels arbitrary, they, they're not as likely to follow it. But how to set rules is to give them statements that they can easily digest. And there's certain phrases in particular kids very easily digest. And those are if-then statements, which I mentioned before, first-then statements, and when-then statements. Okay, so it sets up this nice little dichotomy that they can recognize. So if you eat your breakfast, then you can have some chocolate. Gives you an example of a nice rule. If you clear your plate, then you can have this. If you drop your toys, then you need to pick them up. If you, let me think of another one. That's a good one. I'm thinking about like aggression, but that's not really something I want to bring up. But um, how, about, how about screen time? We, we, we like to talk about screen time. If screen time, if you do, yeah, like you know, using that as a reward, perhaps. Uh, use it, yeah. You know, is it... So, like, if you want your child to do something, if you want your child to engage in a behavior, um, like. If we read books, if we read books for five minutes, then you can do some screen time. And I always tell parents, be careful with screen time, use it wisely. Um, in general, just avoid giving the child pure, free, unmitigated reign with screen time. Um, that's when it gets dangerous. But if you're if you're with your child and you're watching cartoons or, or educational programs, that can be great, great time to connect, etc. Um, but again, you want to you want to set up the reward or consequence. If you do X, then the, here's the reward. If you do Y, here is the reward. Um, with first then statements, this gives children a sense of time. Kids don't have control over their schedule and they're extraordinarily aware of this. So when we say, okay, it's time for bed and they got no heads up, there's going to be a fight. You know, but if you say, okay, first we're going to clean up our toys, then we're going to get ready for bed, the child has a bit more of a heads up. I, I like to also give um, countdown methods that's helpful. If you're at the park, for example, and they're having a great time, and you know we have to leave soon, it's not really easy for a kid to digest, okay, it's time to go now. Okay, Imagine you're on vacation, a beautiful beach in Seychelles, drinking a margarita, and as you're having, you order your second round, and the waiter comes over, about to give you a second round, and someone cuts them up and says, hey, we gotta go next door and help move boxes up to the second floor walk right now, right now. You're like, what are you talking about? Right now, and they take you by the hand and walk you towards this place where you're gonna walk, boxes from a U-Haul to a second floor apartment. You're like, no, what What are you talking about? You're going to feel a certain way, right? But if someone said, hey, check it out, you can finish that margarita, but after you finish that, then we have work to do. And, and you talked about this earlier. You're like, yeah, no, all right. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save this margarita, though. Like, yeah, we know, but then we're going to do work. First then, so tell your child, okay, we got 10 minutes before we leave the park. And what I do with my daughter, I do with my students as well, is I'll show them the timer on my phone and I'll let them start it. Okay, press start. This gives them a little agency in the, in the time mechanism of the process. It gives them a little power. Okay, and then I'll show them. Okay, 10 minutes, go play. And again, I will continue the countdown so that 
it decreases your anxiety. Okay, we have five minutes left, two minutes left, one minute, 20 seconds, 10 seconds, and I'll count down from there. And I've done this with my daughter since she was very young. And I would say nine out of 10 times when I say, okay, it's time to go, she's like, okay. She was very okay with it. I've done this with students as well. It, it's a game changer. Now I'm gonna give the disclaimer, this is not a silver bullet, um, but, and it won't necessarily make sure that there's zero tantrums whatsoever, but it does help. It will mitigate the child's anxiety. So the heat of the response will be lower. So again, if then statements, first then statements, when then statements, and using countdowns are really great ways to set rules. You can use certain milestones to introduce new rules and be like, ooh, I didn't even think about setting rules in my household. And that's okay, because no one tells us what to do as parents, right? We're all just figuring this out. Um, birthdays are fantastic times to introduce new rules. Okay, you're five, which means you're a big boy and you have to make your bed when you wake up in the morning. Okay, you're six and you're fill in the blank, whatever you want. Sit down with your partner, sit down with yourself, and just make a list tonight, today, whenever you're hearing this, about what rules would I like my child to actually follow? What rules would I like my child to follow? You can set them. You're the parent. You are the authority. You're the head of the household, right? <laughs> so you get to run that domain. Um, and, and again, keep it, keep it reasonable. You don't need your child to be cleaning the gutters, but if you want them to clean their room, that's cool. If you want them to bring their dishes to the sink, that makes sense. If you want them to help fold their laundry, whatever things you can give them a little bit of um, responsibility, accountability, that's the key because we're growing people. Right? They're kids, yes, but they're going to be adults and our job is to raise functioning humans. And we don't raise the adult once they're 17, 18, 19. It starts right now. It starts right now. You're right, and when they get out into the real world, there are boundaries, there are rules, there are responsibilities, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, you know it's it's kind of like prolonging or delaying the inevitable. I think get into it nice and early. And mm -hmm. uh, how about things like charts and reward charts? What's your view on all that sort of stuff? I love kids? that, and kids love that too. Sticker charts, kids are a huge fan of. For the life of me, I couldn't tell you why kids love stickers, but they do. Find whatever works for your child. Right, every child has their own preferences, if they like stickers, if it's screen time, if it's, if it's, you know, a promise of what's going to happen on the weekend, um, let, let that be the use. You can also extend things too. So if you don't want your kid using too much screen time, you can say, okay, after you've earned five stars from doing five different things around the house, then you can have 10 minutes of screen time, 20 minutes of screen time, and you, or you can play with X, Y, and Z apps. You can make it so that after you do, after, if you gain 20 stars throughout the week, for any of these four chores, then this weekend you get to pick what we have for dessert. Then this weekend you get to pick what our activity is. Then this weekend you get to pick what we're gonna watch when we have family evening, you know, movie thon, whatever whatever your house fun is, whatever your house schedule is, make it so it matches with your core values and your household. But um, give them the opportunity to earn things. The earlier you teach a child that life is based on earning and is an exchange system, the more successful they'll be, the more behaved well-behaved will be for you and, and, and stress that as well as you can. Um, another fun hack you can use when it comes to rules of child misbehaving is pinning their last name on them. Uh, I found this has been an odd but fun uh, trick. So if a child is acting in a way that you don't like, you can kind of cut through it and say, hey, like my last name is Lake, for example, okay? So if my daughter is acting so even though she's two, I'll say, hey, you're a lake and lakes don't act like this. And if you do this early, you have in their head for the rest of their lives certain certain character sets that they will follow and identify with and it's it's a fun hack that you can play with uh, <laughs> if it works for you great if it doesn't stick with the if then first then when then count then and start <laughs> i love that no i love that chris because it, it it builds a uh, standard a sense of pride mm -hmm. in about how you behave how you act how you carry yourself you know i think that's a a marvelous suggestion so Let's let's go back for a second on sticking to it. So now we know how to set some rules, some boundaries, some excitement around mm. the activity, the if-then, love the if-then, if-when uh, statements. You know, as parents, we sort of, uh, you know, we'll, we'll call our kid and say, hey, it's time for bed. Uh, we've given the notice, and then they give us those eyes, and then we, you know, melt a little bit, and then we get a little bit soft. You know, how do we avoid that? Is, is there a hack for that? Like, is it just, Jamie, you have to be more self-disciplined, uh, you know, uh, or, or is there something that I can tell myself? I don't, I don't know. 
How do we stick to them? How, how, is, is, there, is there a way? It's not pretty. Uh, I'll be honest with you. It's not pretty. Uh, you use the word discipline, and I 100% agree with that. Uh, there's, a, there's a discipline to parenting. You know, there really is. And the more disciplined you are as a parent, the greater the rewards. Unfortunately, like with any discipline, it's it's work and there's labor and you have to get through it to get to it. You know, it's like if you want to have a, if you're a bodybuilder, for example, there's no are shortcuts, but even those hurt. But you do the work, right? You do the work and then you get the results. And it's not like you work out for four weeks and all of a sudden you have a fantastic body. No, you work out for 40 weeks and you have a fantastic body. When it comes down to when a kid gives you those eyes, you have to really be aware that what behavior they give you equals in their head I'm sorry let me rephrase whatever behavior is maintained persists so whatever a child finds useful they will continue to do as long as the child finds it useful they will continue to do it so if a child gives you that that, that classic you know those puss in boots eyes where it gets really big and water and you feel your heart just melts it's your job to say we talked about this. These are the rules. This is a routine. I use that word every single day. Not just at work, but at home. You know the rules. You know the routine. This is what time it is. You know the rules. You know the routine. This is what time it is. And I tell parents the same thing my mom used to say. Kids cry. You know, when you when you stick to your guns, expect that your child will fight. And that's natural. That's just part of being human. We don't like being told what to do. We don't like someone saying, you don't have a choice right now as to what's going to happen next you need to kind of expect that even though they're going to cry that their love isn't lost that you're actually being a good parent that's the work of being a good parent and that they're going to get over it pretty quick i'll give you a perfect example yesterday i would drive my daughter to daycare and she sometimes fights on the way like when we're getting in the car she's like mommy i don't want you to put me in the car seat daddy's putting the car seat we were already running late and i said listen if mommy, if you don't let mommy put you in the car seat, then you're not going to eat that cheese stick. She really wanted to eat this cheese stick. And I said, that's that's going to be the consequence. Like, we're running late. I don't have time to get out the car. It comes back. Da, da, da. And she just got super fussy, super fussy. I said, okay, Steffi, you know the deal. We talked about being cooperative. I'm going to put you in the car seat right now, but you don't get the cheese stick. And I said, mom, give me the cheese stick. I took it. She looked at me and she cried. She reached out for the cheese stick dramatic. No! And she cried. And I said, I told you, if you don't cooperate with mom, you don't get this. If then, if then, I, and I went to the front of the car, drove to, drove her to daycare, and she cried and cried and cried for all of maybe 20 seconds, and then she stopped and she got real mellow. And then at the end of the car ride, she was in good mood again, smiling and making silly faces with her, and she's fine. And the trick is to recognize, like, you can get through the tears, you can get through that sadness, and to start treating it as irrelevant. If you, if you allow yourself some space, and it's not easy, I understand, it's not easy. At first, you're going to feel like being mean. You're going to be like, this is wrong. I can't. It's okay. And I invite all parents to really ask yourself what the word mean means to you. Because in, in the last 20 years, that word has shifted in its definition. And I think some parents understand, I'm being mean if my child in any way is not smiling. If I do something and my child is not just perfectly happy in the room, that's not me. If you're being a good parent, and a child wants to drink alcohol, and you say no, and they cry, you're obviously not being mean. They're just crying, right? Um, I tell people to define mean as this. Ask yourself, am I enjoying my child's pain? No, they're not being mean. Am I enjoying neglecting my child? No, they're not being mean. Am I profiting from my child's pain? No. Am I profiting from my child's neglect? No. Okay, then congrats. You're not a sociopath. You're not mean. You're probably just asking your child to grow, and your child in response is saying, but I don't want to. And that's natural, right? Because the, the transition from infancy to toddlerhood is one where an infant is hardwired to cry to get what they want. And that makes sense. We need that. If the baby's hungry, we need them to cry. If they're gassy, we need them to cry. If they need to be changed, they cry. And we run and give them whatever it is to alleviate their concern because that's what you're supposed to do. But between 12 months and 18 months, you start realizing, okay, kiddo, now you have to do for me. I've been doing it for you for a year, 18 months, now you got to do it for me. And kids are like, no, what are you talking about? My entire life, you do whatever I want when I cry. And that's the battle of the terrible too. It's really it's 18 months to four years old, what that, phase, that period is. is a child fighting for that infancy, fighting to say, I don't want to grow up. I want to be an infant. But an old infant is ugly. You know, they're cute when they're young. You don't want a six-year-old infant. You don't want a 12-year-old infant. I work with kids with autism. I see old infants, and it's sad. It breaks my heart. 
And, um, you know, they're all still cute at three, but at eight is when parents usually have it. Because almost no kid's cute at eight. Sorry. Sorry, folks. They're just weird, weird looking between eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. But um, you stick to your guns by saying, I understand what the child is aiming for, and my job is to boost them to not be an infant. My job is to make them move in the opposite direction. And there's no growth without this gun group. There's no growth without this gun yeah. And that's true for everything on earth. And your kid, when they're crying in response to you asking them to grow, is their discomfort. And the more consistent you are with this, the easier it gets. That's the thing. If you cave, the kid, they don't win, right? The kid isn't winning when you cave. Everyone's losing in that scenario. You just, it's just not apparent right then. If you cave, the kid simply learns, that worked, do it again. That worked, do it again. That worked, if you're at the grocery store and they scream and scream and scream and give them chocolate, the kid learns, that worked, let me do it again. Your job is to say, no, 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 I need to know the world will not accept this. This is not safe for them when they're 6, 12, 18, 24. How will this develop when they're older? I always look at my kids that I'm working with and ask myself, how does this behavior look at this kid when they're 17? I always ask myself. What's the, what's the version of this at 17? And if for me it equals they're getting arrested, then my job is to not feel bad about them crying when I'm asking them to grow up. So just put it in perspective, guys, and remember the first time it's going to be hard. You're going to feel bad. Afterwards, give yourself a hug, have a glass of wine, whatever you got to do. It does get easier, though, because once you stick to your guns and you do it the second night in a row, the third night in a row, by the fourth night it's done. And that's the thing. If you just deal with, the, if you deal with that discomfort up front, you won't have to deal with it for months or years. You can, you can, you can extinguish so many challenging behaviors in a week if you're just willing to accept the fact your kid's gonna cry on you and they're gonna make a mess and snot out their face and make you think you're the worst person in the world because you said no, but really it's time to go to bed. No, but really it's bad time. No, but really you need to brush your teeth. And I'm going to now physically help you do this. And that's the other thing, okay? When your child is refusing and they're digging their heels in, the good news is, for almost every parent who's listening, I imagine you're bigger than your child. Pick them up. You're allowed to. That's not mean. You're allowed to. You're allowed to physically guide your child to do things. It's what humans have done forever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, that's so important. I'll, I'll tell you. You know, that it's, it's an interesting segue on the tantrums. I want to talk about this for a minute. When my son, who's now 18, um, uh, congratulations, he made it that far. Um, we, had, we had a drink and we, we did share, because in Australia the legal drinking age is 18, so we shared his first beverage and we said, hey, congratulations, you made it this far. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he had a, a meltdown in a supermarket when he was about three, mm-hmm. and it was a really, really big meltdown. And uh, it did a couple of things for me. One, it caused me to look at myself and say, what am I doing as a parent? Because I blame myself. And, and I think that's right. You know, like largely the behavior that exists in our children is a reflection of how we've guided them, how we've helped them and how you know, the boundaries we've set. And I changed a lot of things uh, at, at that, that age or that turning point. And, and I'm proud to say he never did it again. Beautiful. Ever. Beautiful. And, and it was, and you, you said a lot of things, it, there's a lot to break down in what you just said there, Chris, but... Uh, one of the important things that stands out to me is that discipline, that execution, you know, and not because sometimes I get it, you know, at four in the afternoon, you've had all day. It's sometimes just easier to give in because right. you're tired. Right. right? right. So like I, I get all that stuff. But, you know, inevitably at some point as a parent, we're going to experience tantrums and, uh, you know, we've all gone through this at some point. What can we do to decrease that? Mm-hmm. Is there a way to decrease the tantrums? So in the moment, right? For the very first thing I tell every parent, every staff member I work with, same thing. Take a deep breath. The most important thing in a scenario when your kid is losing their cool is that you keep yours. Take a deep breath, and I really mean that. Take a deep breath, bring your energy down. I've worked with some very, very aggressive kids in my time, and I've learned across all of them that if I'm upset, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. The next thing you want to do is wait because when a kid is really tantruming and they're screaming and their their face is red and what's happening neurologically their amygdala and hypothalamus have taken over and those control your hormones your body temperature and your emotions so in that moment the child literally is out of control so if you're yelling at that kid calm down calm down relax they're not processing plus mind you no one in the history of anyone has ever calmed down or relaxed when someone yells at them calm down or relax 
<laughs> there's some reason we persist to do this. I get all this shit. But um, but but wait, breathe, get close, get to his eye level, right? Kneel down, sit down if you need to, be as still as you can, look at them, have a very plain, if not pleasant face, and just breathe and look them in the eyes because they've never experienced this response to that emotion before. And so it's going to make their brain say, huh, what are they doing? All right. When they do finally take a breath and they're able to either say something that's not at high screaming pitch level or, or, or receive you, let them know the rules. Say, okay. So, we don't cry to get what we want. I tell my daughter that almost every day, and when I do, she'll pause, and that's when she says, please, and I say, yes, that's much better. But that's the number one thing to establish. We don't cry to get what we want, because again, whatever behavior is successful will continue. So if they've learned the screaming and stomping on the floor, banging my head, or anything else, will immediately get me chocolate, an iPhone, a tablet, etc. They will do that every day that they can. It works. Other thing you want to do is again very calmly explain the rules. I'm like, this is not behavior that we do. We are in the store. I understand that you want this and that you're not happy. However, this is not how you behave. You do not cry. You do not scream. You do not act this way to get things wrong. Be super hyper logical. Super logical. You let them know that next time when we come, if you ask me nicely, we can get it. But today we do not. The important thing is to not give them whatever it is that they want. No matter what happens after that. Even if they calm down immediately, you can make, I'm very proud of you for calming down. But we're going to go home now, and at home you can have X, Y, or Z. We're not getting that toy, that chocolate, whatever it may be, because that's not how we behave. And because you behave in a way that is not appropriate, especially for a lake, especially for, insert last name here, we need to go home. And if that means you have to drop your shopping items and, and leave them at the register, go. You can pick the child up and say, you know, I'm going to give you a hug. I love you. I like using the phrase of my daughter when she's feeling kind of tense. I love you no matter what. I want my child to know. Just no matter, your behavior is not dependent on me loving you. Um, but, but rules still have consequences regardless. And it's important for the child to know that there are consequences. Um, and you can have the child earn something else at home that they really like, but it's really important that you say this is not available to you today because of how you act. Let them associate this behavior. It means I don't get things I want. You know, when my child is silly and she might try to hit, she doesn't try to hit me, but when she tries to hit mom, I let her know, like, when you hit people, that means you don't get to play with things and people leave, you know? And, and one of the things my wife did that initially stopped my daughter from hitting was literally just walking out the room. It didn't matter what she said. It was when she just, just paused, got up, and walked up the room. Like, my child was like, wait, mom! Like, well, that's really what happens, though. Because, again, fast forward to when your child is 17, 18. If you hit someone, you're going to lose your freedom, depending on the severity, the situation, if police are available. And that's what you want to make sure your child learns at an earlier age, at the earliest ages, so they avoid anything that comes with that. Um, but that, that's going to be really the, the, the big takeaway. Is calm yourself as much as you can. Speak to your child very calmly. Get on their eye level. That's really important. Get on their eye level and let them know that this is not behavior that works. This doesn't work here. You don't act like this. I'm sorry. You can apologize. I'm sorry. I understand that you feel upset. I feel upset sometimes too when I can't get something. Be really logical. You know, digest for them the emotion they're having to say, I know you're having a big feeling right now and big feelings are difficult. Maybe I can help you work through that. But now it's time to go. And when we go home, we can talk about something that you like that you can have but we're not going to do anything here with involving X, Y, and Z, whatever the issue was. It's really critical that they don't get access to that thing that they had a tantrum about. So that way, next time they have, oh, they think to themselves, that didn't work. I, gotta, I have to act more mature. I have to act better. Maybe if I act nicely, Daddy will get something. And then the next time, so that's, that's the homework for in the moment. For future reference, if it's a store, whatever scenario the child is triggered at, right? If it's just a supermarket in general when they have a child's eye-level candy waiting as, as, as these landmines for parents uh, <laughs> across the world. <laughs> what you can do is warn them on the way in. Like, sweetie, just remember, we talked about this last time. We don't cry to get what you want. So if there's something that you really want, please ask me nicely. And if you ask me nicely, then right. daddy will buy it for you. But you have to ask me nicely. You have to use your manners. And that changes the whole game for them. And then get it for them. Say, very good. Good job. Yeah. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah, and the other, the other, Part of that, coming back to your conversation around earning it, 
you know, hey, we're going into the centre. You haven't earned it this week because this you didn't make your bed. So don't ask me in the shopping centre because that won't be the reward today, right. even if you do ask nicely. Right. So there's a consequence around that behaviour. And, and it sets us up as parents uh, for, for more success and uh, it certainly sets our children up, uh, you know, to really understand the laws of the world. And, you know, I've got a 15-year-old daughter and just reflecting on what you were saying there with your young daughter, uh, I'm having the same conversations at 16, where, like 15, where she, she wanted to go out and I said no. And uh, she started getting argumentative. And I simply turned to her and in a calm voice and I said, you know this behaviour is not going to get you what you want. So come to me with a different argument or a different logic. And I turned and walked away. Two hours later, she comes out and goes, Dad, well, here's what, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to do this, this, this and this. And, and yeah. you know, Beautiful. and so it's the same, Beautiful. the same tools, even at 15 years of age, exactly. right? Exactly. And, and I mean, I could have, I could have gotten down to that level and gotten in the mud and gotten all argumentative, but you know, I want to teach her in the same, same, um, teach her the same lesson because when you're in the workforce or when you are married and in a relationship, the, these behaviours aren't acceptable right. and they're not going to, they're not conducive to healthy relationships. So uh, yeah, that's wonderful. I, you said something interesting too there, Chris, about you know, sort of, you know, when they're in that moment, uh, having a tantrum, uh, it's like that break state, looking at them, being calm, doing the exact opposite to what they would expect almost. And I'm not sure if this is good parenting or not, so don't judge me here. But I think <laughs> when, when my daughter was about that three years of age, she had a meltdown. Um, uh, I grabbed a glass of water and just threw it at her face. <laughs> and uh, I'm not recommending this to anyone, but uh, but what she did, she. <sighs> took a big breath and she was just so shocked she stopped and I was able to have a conversation <laughs> not great parenting maybe but it, it was the opposite it was effective at the time so uh, this is why I interview guests from around the world and I'm not being interviewed here Chris I'm trying to learn okay uh, we, we are we're having such a great conversation we've gone well over time and I love that uh, thank you there, there's so much information and what I love about our conversation today, Chris, is there's practical, tangible tools that parents listening can take away, use, and really improve their family unit right, to no end. Right. So thank you for your generosity and your time. Right. Now, a couple of things before we finish up. Firstly, a question we love to ask all of our guests, uh, a little bit light and a little bit fun, is if we had a time machine and you were able to go back to your 10-year-old self, what's one piece of advice that you'd like to share with young Chris Lake? Never skip leg day. Um... <laughs> uh, okay. that's that's the best you got no let's see a couple of different things i'd say drink more water stretch before you work out and uh, let's see what's, what's a good one i would tell myself you got me thinking right now and i have an answer you know i feel like you asked me that earlier and i'm blanking right now hold on a now, you know what? I'm going to take drink more water because that's something that we don't talk about often enough. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talk about all things parenting. And that's kind of one of the things that gets overlooked, you know, just for pure health and brain development and bodily function and, and quality of life. Drink more water. That's a great one. It's important. It's definitely important. Um, oh, I know what I would tell myself. I would say read a book every month on something I'm curious yes. about. Read a book every month because while school, you know, encourages us slash requires us to read books i think a lot of kids get turned off because if the book isn't something that they're at all interested in they say well i don't like this i don't want to read but there were so many things as a child i was interested in and i would love to go back in time and say hey you know you love neuroanatomy for example you love computer coding for example just read one book a month you don't have to read it a week give yourself that that space of time just enjoy it and take but fill your head with knowledge just the more knowledge you have i mean in America, we have a, a poet, Maya Angelou, and she just said, all knowledge is spendable currency depending on the market, and it's true. You know, the more knowledge you put in your head, the more valuable you just naturally are. Um, so I'd read a book every month. That would be the biggest advice I'd give my 10-year-old self. Yep, that's definitely powerful. I resonate with that. Um, where can, well, maybe tell us a little bit about the book first, and then tell us where uh, listeners can find you online, how can they reach out, websites. So just give us a bit of a, a, an overview of the book from your, in your words. All right, so Help Your Toddler Meet Their Milestones, 101 Behavior Hacks. is basically a guide for parents to know exactly specifically what to do and what to say across a variety of dimensions to help your child develop um, in the face of challenging behavior, but also like if you want to increase your child's speech, if you want to increase your child's ability to socialize, if you want to increase their manners. There's, there's certain 
key phrases and formulas that I've found across working with hundreds of kids for the last 16 years that just simply work. It simply works. It's all evidence-based. Um, and, and I want parents to have the confidence to know that they can make this world of being a parent easier. It's, it's not a silver bullet. You do have to keep with it, right? Just like anything else. I practice a guitar if I want to learn a song tonight that I actually want to learn. I'm not going to master it tonight in one shoot, right? You have to keep going. You have to keep going, keep going. I tell parents about the Las Vegas rule in my book where um, they only win, the house only wins by about 2%, right? In Vegas, most casinos win 51% of the time, and the average person who goes wins 49% of the time. But that 2% is the reason that they make on average $2 million a day. So I tell parents, well, you don't have to be perfect, because no one is, and nothing is. Aim to win more often than not. There are going to be days when you just don't have it. There's going to be days where you're just exhausted. There's going to be days when you're sick. There's going to be days when your partner's sick and you're carrying their weight and or vice versa. That's okay. We're human. It's fine. But yeah, it's okay. Forgive yourself. Give yourself that bandwidth of space to forgive yourself and love yourself, etc. But um, but win more often than not. You know, be sure that you are seeing that progress. You are sticking to your guns more often than not, and that will go a long way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's good behavior for them to model as well. Mm. So uh, uh, good words. Um, where can listeners track you down, buy your book, uh, reach out to you? How do we find you in the uh, web? That's right. All right. So you can find me on the web at 101behaviorhacks.com. You can buy a book on Amazon. It's available on Amazon Australia site, available um, Amazon UK, available Amazon.com. It's available on Kindle as well. I, I do a free Kindle ebook promotion that is going but it is for a very very limited time so look for it shortly and otherwise you can find me on ig chris lake you can find my charity community for a cause on ig as well you can find me at twitter see nigel lake and you can find me on twitter community for a cause as well look me up hit me up ask me questions i really aim to help yeah, and we, we definitely can see that in uh, your generosity today, Chris. Thank you for your impact. Thank you for your time. And uh, I hope we can uh, uh, meet each other once again sometime down the track. Thanks again, Chris Lake. Thank you, Jamie. Appreciate everything. Appreciate your platform. Appreciate the laughs, man. That's the most fun I've had. <laughs> Cheers. You're welcome, man. You're welcome. If you enjoyed the show, please connect with Jamie on LinkedIn or Instagram. You'll find links in the podcast description. Parenting in the Digital Age is sponsored by Skill Samurai, coding in STEM Academy for kids. Skill Samurai offers after-school coding classes and holiday programs to help kids thrive academically and socially while preparing them for the careers of the future. Visit skillsamurai.com.au.